everybody welcome to the export i am raven x alongside me as always is biggie aka ethan tate aka somebody who i am sure was celebrating jaws return game last night how you doing today ethan i'm good definitely was good to see 12 back on the court but uh I, i'm actually more excited about another player on the Grizzlies. yes okay we'll talk about it more later but yeah he, he had an amazing game yeah, we got a cool show for you guys. Of course, uh, we are going to continue to look at some of the moves surrounding uh, the second week of NFL free agency. Play a new, I guess you'd call it a game, called Fumbling the Bag or Realizing the Tag. Don't worry, I'll explain that a bit later. And then with regards to the NBA, we are going to ask some pretty all-time great questions in our game, Believable Buffoonery, ranging from do people really fear LeBron, what will Klay Thompson's legacy will be, and is the mystique around Michael Jordan just that mystique? But before we get to any of that, please share, check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and, pre and uh, fellow export writers. For each episode of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So let's go ahead and get this kicked off with our college football player spotlight. And this week, proud to say that my second mock draft of this year's draft cycle has been dropped. Um, came out last night, and it was a labor of love, but I, and of course, I'm not 100% all these things are going to happen, but I think it's still a good read, so be sure to check that out, but just a couple of picks I would love your, your mind on. So, first overall, I actually have the Panthers getting Anthony Richardson. I think when it's all said and done, they end up getting C.J. Stroud, but do you think that the hype surrounding Anthony Richardson and the reports that they were already interested in him before. Do you could you see Anthony Richardson being the first overall pick? After after seeing all the like Panthers talk about them and CJ Stroud's pro day, I don't see it anymore. Yeah. I think like they bought into the hype of see uh Anthony Richardson being this like great dual three quarterback. But when you look at CJ Stroud He's a dual third quarterback, but he's also a better thrower than Anthony Richardson. Yeah. And I think, like, once they saw him throw with his pro day, they were so. Yeah, I agree. Had I waited a day later, I would have made a different decision. But I still think that uh, Anthony Richardson is by far going top five. Um, another pick, I had Jalen Carter defensive tackle for Georgia landing with the Las Vegas Raiders so still in that top 10 just kind of missing out on that top five range do you think that that would be a good move for the Raiders to do despite the risk uh I don't given the nature of like what his legal trouble came from is being an individual that I hate to say it but got intoxicated and had a crash I don't think drafting him to a city like Vegas is a good idea um because we all like we all know the things that that are tied in with Vegas, the allure of that city. Um, so I think if you, it would be good if they're able to like, I guess corral him and like buy, and get him to buy in and be like, hey, you're here to play football. But like, if they're if they're not able to get him to fully buy in, he still kind of. <clears throat> does some of the things like off the field, like indulge in like heavy alcohol use. I don't think it'll be a good idea to draft them to a city like Las Vegas. Because it's more like it's more prominent to happen there than like let's say Seattle. Yeah, it's more temptation for sure. I look at it like let's be honest, the 
Uh, Raiders are not a team shy about bringing in questionable players as long as they're talented. I mean, you can kind of look back at Vontez Burfick when they signed him out of Cincinnati and all the problems that came with him. Um, eventually what happened with Henry Ruggs. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think that because of that, and if you look at that group, their defensive line is – well, their defense as a whole is bad. You take away Max Crosby and then maybe Chandler Jones because he had a down year last year, and that group is probably the worst in the league. I think that by bringing in Jalen Carter, like I said, it's, I think they would bring in Jalen Carter because his talent is still there. Like, yes, he went, it was pretty serious charges that he was facing. And as of right now, I believe that he has to do like a year of probation and community service and like a fine, but I'm not sure the specifics. Um, I think that for a team talent deficient as the Raiders on that side of the ball, I think that they'd be the ones willing to do it. But it's a really high risk, high reward type deal in case he does end up getting in trouble again. All right. I know you're still kind of fluctuating on the whole Titans are my team or you're going to be teamless. But again, I had y'all getting an offensive tackle. Well, let me not say y'all, but I had the Titans getting an offensive tackle. Right now, what would you say is still the biggest need for the Titans despite the first wave and a half of free agency? Uh, I still probably would say offense. I would say either offensive tackle, cornerback, or wide receiver. You're um, not feeling Sean Murphy Bunch's signing? That's not giving you hope? Nah. <laughs> okay. nah. And uh, I also would say uh, – Depending on if they either trade Kevin Bayard or release Kevin Bayard, I also would add safety to the list as well. Like, I know Jeffrey Simmons has been great these last few years, but I would still argue that Kevin Bayard is the best defensive player that the Titans have because he's been doing it year in and year out for a long time. And losing him, you lose your biggest leader, your most productive player. It would be... Titans, it'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, I had them go on Peter Skaronsky. And then um last pick I want to get your your opinion on. I have running back B. John Robinson going to the Dallas Cowboys with the twenty-sixth overall pick. Do you think B. John makes it to the second round, or do you think a team like the Cowboys or possibly somebody else winds up snatching up the talented running back out of Texas? I think the Cowboys are gonna do because I think they they still have a somewhat decent offensive line. They kind of reassured their secondary when they got um, Stephon Gilmore. Granted, they do need some – I think they need some help in safety, but I think that they can look for that in the second round of the draft. Offensively now, with the addition of Brandon Cooks, they're finding a receiver. They do need a tight end, but you can find a tight end at any point in the draft, just in my opinion. Um, and I don't think that they they never really had the intention on making Tony Pollard like the premier every carry, every down back. Yeah. I think they've always with him, they they've always had this mindset of like we wanna split carries with them and now you can get a guy like Bijan Robinson who is another big physical back and you can split carries and you can kind of preserve both of those guys instead of going a route that you did with Zeke, which is run one guy into the ground and then find a diamond in the rough later to kind of replace him. 
Yeah, I actually agree with you with regards to the Tony Pollard take. Just because, and I think that's for the best for Tony. Like, I understand we see guys like a Derrick Henry or a Jonathan Taylor or a Saquon Barkley who get all these touches and all these yards, etc. But that shortens their their shelf life. And I mean, running backs right now seem to be incredibly expendable. So the last thing I would want is to be somebody who is a bell cow back and then the team is done with me after a few years, after my first contract. And I think that with Tony Pollard, the role that he's in now is perfect because not only does he get to show off his explosiveness, not only does he get to show his ability to catch up the backfield, but also he gets to keep himself healthy and he's able to kind of come in as like that home run hitter. Like if you get a guy like B. John Robertson, he can take over the duties on first and second down. But then when you need a big third down play, Tony Pollard can come in and make magic happen, similar to what he did this past season. But yeah, you can check out the whole uh, mock draft. On the export.net, I repeat the export.net. Go ahead and check that out. Let me know what you think. And don't ask me about another mock draft because that will not be coming for at least another couple of weeks. But all right, let's go ahead and look at the players who are already in the NFL, starting with another key Patriot retirement. Linebacker Dante Hightower, after 11 seasons in the NFL, has announced that he is retiring from the league. He is a three-time Super Bowl champion with the Patriots and yet another player who has made my life hell whenever Baltimore and the Patriots played. So congratulations to him, and I wish him the best in his future endeavors. Now, on the inverse of that, Laramie Tunsil left tackle for the Houston Texans after much speculation about him being traded this offseason. Instead, signs a big extension with the team, going for three years, 75 mil. That includes 50 million guaranteed, and at the time of the signing, it includes a $30 million signing bonus. I mean... Laramie Tunsil low-key has been winning since draft night, but just kind of talk about Laramie Tunsil, what does he mean for the Texans, and do you think they made the right deal by extending him, or do you still believe that they should have traded him? Uh, I think what he means for the Texans is, I don't know, I can't remember how old he is, but I think he's still fairly young. I think he's in his mid-20s. So, mid-20s. So, he can still potentially be a building block for their team going into the future. Um, and he isn't a bad offensive lineman. Like, he's a talented guy. Um, I think the Texans made the right move simply being, simply because if you're going to bring, if you're going to draft and bring in a young quarterback, you're going to want to at least have certain if, – if you can have some semblance of certainty on the offensive line with bringing them in, you should do it. And if keeping Laramie Tunstall adds the certainty of like, hey, he can be a focal point of our line that we can build around him to help our offense, that's the right decision in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, especially because you know you're going to bring in a rookie – why create a problem that's not there? Yes, you could probably draft somebody this year, but I don't think any of the players you are going to get are going to be better than what Laramie Tunsil has been for you for the past three, four seasons. And by the way, he's 28. Um, So by the, I think they say his birthday is in August. So by the time his birthday rolls around, he'll be 29. So still very young and still can give you some impactful years. So I think it's a great move for both sides to get that done. All right, let's go ahead and look at some of the biggest trade news of the week. Starting out of Cleveland, they are wide receiver needy team. And after the signing of Miko Harmon to the New York Jets, the Jets had a body who could be disposed of. And that wound up being sec- former second-round pick Elijah Moore, who was traded to the Browns for a second-round pick while the Browns get more in a third-round pick. 
you know me. I don't like giving the Browns credit for anything for obvious reasons, but this was a great move for them to not only get Elijah Moore, a player who's obviously going to have a chip on his shoulder after not getting much playing time last year, but it's shown some flashes of being a really good player. And not only that, but you still get a third-round pick in the process, so if they really wanted to, they could trade up back into the second round. So I think this was a great move for the Browns. Yeah, I think it was, too. Um, Elijah Moore is also just – I feel like it's a great move for the Jets because he was the guy that – was going off on Zach Wilson and our offensive coordinator. So to get him out um, can always be good. But I do think that it's a good move for the Browns because outside of Amari Cooper, the Browns didn't really have any other pieces at wide receiver. Um, and now if you're bringing in Deshaun Watson in his second year, like this will be his like first full offseason. Mm-hmm. In his second year being a starting quarterback, you might expect better play out of him. Cough, cough, maybe. Um, so I think bringing in another viable weapon could be a benefit. Uh, I'm also in the in the camp of you. I don't want the Browns to succeed in anything. Um, partially, some of it is the the closet still is saying to me that you say it's going to eventually come out soon. And the other part of it is, honestly, I don't want Deshaun Washington to succeed, to succeed in anything either. So, yeah. That part. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great move. Honestly, if anything, I'm just shocked that the Jets gave a three in the deal. Because, I mean, that's still a pretty substantial pick. I mean, I probably would have threw in, like, maybe a four or a five. But, essentially, it's like you're getting a two, but then you're you're messing up the three. But that's neither here nor there. I still a great move. All right, continuing on with wide receiver trades. Like you mentioned a little bit earlier, but the Dallas Cowboys got active in the trade market finally, bringing in Brandon Cook's veteran wide receiver. Um, The Texans received a fifth-round pick this year and a sixth-round pick next year, while Dallas got Brandon Cook's. I mean... You neither in neither of us are Cowboys fans, but I have to admit, with the additions of Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore, it gives the team two veterans at two of their weakest overall positions. But would you go as far as to say that they have closed the talent gap between them and the Eagles? I wouldn't, but this is a nice step in that direction. I don't, I don't think they closed the talent gap, but I think, and what I'm about to say, can ruffle fellas. I think if you're if they can get the best version, if let's say they draft B. John Robinson, let's say he becomes him and Tony Pollard both are productive backs, like maybe one of them gets a thousand yards, maybe one of them gets like six hundred to eight hundred yards. Um I think if you get the best version of that Prescott with his offense combined with the running game, and then you pair that dominant front seven that they had this last year with now the cornerback duo Diggs and Gilmore like this is out of any other teams and I know it's question marks around it still out of any other teams where the Cowboys you'd be like hey we might have a chance to win in the Super Bowl if it all works out in my opinion it would be this one because like you have Stephon Gilmore who's been a champion who's played in big moments who can steady the ship. You have a dominant defensive front that can rush the passer and shut down the run. Like, honestly, in my opinion, when, the only thing that really will hold the Cowboys back is that Prescott. Because CeeDee 
let him show that he could be a viable option as a wide receiver one. Brandon Cooks is a great option as a wide receiver two. Michael Gallup is a good wide receiver three. You know Tony Pollard is one of the most explosive players in the NFL. You bring in B. John Robinson, maybe, or find another running back to to kind of supplant Michael on uh, Tony Pollard to be like their bruiser. And you can have a really solid team. And the offensive line is not as great as it's been in the past, but it's still a steady unit. So, I think, yeah, for me, the Cowboys uh, loader that I am, I hate the moves because it means it might actually bring them some success. But if I look at it from a non-biased standpoint, I think the Cowboys are definitely one of the winners so far this offseason. I agree with you in terms of them being a winner. I mean, Stephon Gilmore is a guy who I don't think anybody was, like, totally shocked that he was traded, but we really hadn't heard much buzz about him being traded. He still played at a high level in Indy. And then Brandon Cooks was a guy who everybody knew was disgruntled. He wanted to be traded before last year's deadline. Didn't happen. Not only does he get on a playoff caliber team, but then he gets to go to a team where he can really showcase his ability. But before we move on, so are you saying on the record that in 2023 – the Cowboys will, in fact, be them boys? Uh, to an extent, yes. Okay. Go ahead and mail you a Dak Prescott jersey and a Cowboy hat. Cause you... I promise you I'll burn it. He <laughs> won't even touch my house. It'll be on my porch on fire. Oh, no. You might be slowly converting. But, no, I agree. Nah, nah, I nah, think nah, nah, that... Nah, nah, nah. I Even though, in terms of, like, playoff teams and moves they've made... This depth, the Cowboys for sure would rank in my, at worst, top three. Um, Probably the only team I would probably say has done a bit more is Miami. I think they've yeah. done a lot to help themselves out. Um, the Bengals could also be included in that conversation, adding to that offensive line. But, yeah, the, Dallas has made some really, really big moves that I definitely think that while I wouldn't call him a Super Bowl contender at this very moment, if they can, like you said, add to that offense by getting a good running back, maybe add to that defensive tackle position some, maybe add another safety. Cowboys going to be a team to watch this year. All right, let's go ahead and play our new quote-unquote game, fumbling the bag or realizing their price tag. Here's how this is going to work. We're going to talk about a slate of teams slash free agents well, restricted tax, whatever. And where whether or not they made a mistake by not taking a multi-year deal offered to them by their respective teams or if they did the right thing by holding out. For example, we're going to start off with Lamar Jackson. So as we know, Baltimore and Lamar have been working on a contract extension for the better part of the last year and a half. However, as we all know, nothing has happened yet. And then when it was announced that Lamar Jackson was going to be put on the non-restricted free agent tag, I mean non-restricted exclusive tag, no, I'm sorry, non-exclusive tag, sorry, don't know why I got that jumbled up, it meant that he was able to negotiate with teams starting last Wednesday and that Baltimore had the opportunity to match the deal, and if they did not match, they would get two first-round picks. Seems simple enough for a 26-year-old former MVP. Instead, no deals reportedly have come Lamar's way in the past week. So, do you think that Lamar fumbled the bag by not getting a contract extension done with Baltimore, or do you think he's doing the right thing by holding out for the deal he wants? Uh... I'm, initially, I was thinking that he was doing the right thing. But as time passes, I'm starting to think he fumbled the bag because 
Lamar isn't getting any younger. He didn't. He played. He played well when he was on the field, but he didn't play extremely great. He also had another injury that can cause concerns of him getting a the contract that he wants. I think he should have. Like I'm starting to believe that he should have took took what was good and went with it. And like I understand. about Lamar Jackson because I have done so in the past. But I'll just leave it like this. I think that people got on Baltimore because Daniel Jones is making more annually than Lamar is on this franchise tag. One, what is Baltimore supposed to do about the price of a tag? Argue with the NFL, not them. And secondly, they have offered Lamar significant amount of money that would have topped 40 mil a year. It's been a revolving door of does he want a fully guaranteed contract? Does he want 200 mil fully guaranteed? What does he want? Nobody really knows because Baltimore is not talking and neither is Lamar. But I look at it like this. The NFL is a what have you done for me lately league. In the past two years, realistically, what has Lamar done in Baltimore? Getting hurt. Exactly. And if I'm Baltimore, I get it. I'm not about to give my quarterback First off, I'm not giving no quarterback a fully guaranteed contract. That just opens up a whole other can of worms. I'm not the Browns. But in addition to that, you're talking about a quarterback who in the past two years has not done much. When he's played, he's been fine. But last year, it was it was a hit or miss, hit or miss time. And people talk so much about how the Ravens offense stagnated when he was off the field, which is true. But the offense was still ranked in the bottom half of the league when he was actually on the field in terms of points. It's not like we were just scoring like crazy when he was playing. And then you factor in the injuries. You factor in the fact that if we were to give Lamar all this crazy amount of money, everybody talks about how we don't have weapons. How do you expect us to get weapons now if we're paying somebody 45 plus a season, 45 million plus a season. That don't make any sense. And so I'm going to lean towards he's more so fumbling the bag, especially because it'd be one thing if teams were rushing at his door to give him a deal. Because I get, like, maybe not on the first day free agency opened up. I get that. Maybe you don't want to immediately show all your cards. But by this point, you would think at least one team would have called. Especially with it being getting close to the draft. The draft's a little bit over a month away. So, yeah, I would say he's he's fumbled the bag, not getting an extension. Because if he plays on the tag this year and gets hurt, whatever money he thought he was going to get is not happening. Not from Baltimore or not from nobody. So then he's going to just kind of have to take whatever deal just to have a job. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say fumbling the bag. All right, let's go ahead and take 
things to Texas, talking about former Dallas Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz. Um, earlier this week, it was announced that he signed a one-year deal worth $9 million with the Houston Texans. However, before the start of the season, he had turned down a three-year $36 million extension with the Cowboys. So, did Dalton Schultz fumble the bag or realize his price tag? Uh, I think he fumbled the bag simply because, bro, you you went from granted. We just went on a soliloquy about the Cowboys, but like, bro, you went from a team that at least was going to kind of like unless a major injury happened, more than likely was a lot to make the playoffs to a team that probably won't even win their division. Um. And you did it just for one year when you could have. And we all know that football players are like trying to get as many years guaranteed in life as possible. So I definitely think you fumbled the bet. Yeah, for sure. And I think that while you kind of want to bet on yourself, because he did have a solid year, I mean, tight ends in Frenzy have not been getting paid. Mike Tosicki signed a one year, $9 million deal with the Patriots, too. It's not like. Most tight ends are getting these big multi-year deals. I think the only ones off the top of my head, I know Hayden Hurst got three years, Josh Oliver got three years, but the biggest fish in the pond, they didn't get that much money, so I would agree that he fumbled the bag. All right, now let's talk C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who reportedly passed on a multi-year extension with the Philadelphia Eagles to go to the Lions on a one-year, $8 million deal with six and a half mil guaranteed. While we don't know the specifics of his deal with the Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles, and I know he said that the Lions are quote-unquote more talented than the Philadelphia Eagles team he was on last year. I still think he fumbled the bag. In the words of one, if I'm not mistaken, Quavo, you get the bag and fumble it. Bro, regardless of if you genuinely think the Lions are more talented, bro, the Lions are, like, I'm not going to say a rebuilding, but the Lions are a up-and-coming team that, had, that probably would sniff the playoffs slash maybe make the wild card round. You mean to tell me you're you're willing to go to a team that might be a wild card team instead of staying on the team that just made the Super Bowl and it's still considered... And, and honestly, right now, the NFC is it might be the easiest for them to go back than any time has ever been because you think about it. If Aaron Rodgers leaves Green, Green Bay, they won't be the same team. Yes, the 49ers are still the strong team that they've been. In my opinion, they might have gotten, somewhat gotten better. But you guys have shown that y'all could potentially still compete with them. Even, we know that they have a lot of losses. Like, outside of the 49ers, in my opinion, there aren't really any, like, guaranteed locks in the NFC. Aside from the Eagles. And so, like, you left... Yeah, hands down. And I think that it really comes down like, I get you think your market is going to be hotter in free agency. But once you saw that it wasn't, you should have been like, you know what, Philly, this is my bad. This is on me. Let's go ahead and try to work something out. But in the long term, I think it worked out for Philly because they were able to keep Darius Slate and James Bradbury. Because I feel like if uh, Gardner Johnson would have came back, they wouldn't be able to keep Bradbury and Slate. 
So in that retrospect, I think it helps out. But on the other hand, yeah, you definitely fumbled the back. And this isn't a knock against the Lions because I like the Lions. But it's like, again, you're not getting that much security. You're on a one-year prove-it deal. So it's kind of similar to what I was saying with Lamar. What happens if you get hurt? The money you thought you were going to get this offseason, you're definitely not going to get next year. And if he's not the same player that he was in Philly and you couldn't get a long-term extension from that, where you tied for the lead league in picks, yeah, it's it's a cold world out there. So I wish him the best, but, yeah, he fell with the bag. All right, now this one goes to a team, and that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Recently running back um, – Austin Eckler did an interview talk discussing his frustrations with his contract, and he said this. I feel like there's no timeline on this. I'm so underpaid right now as far as my contract and what I contribute to the team. I am relentlessly pursuing this. I want something long-term. I want a team who wants me long-term. I'm at the peak of my game, and I'm getting half the value of what I can be getting. And technically, he's not wrong. He's on the last year of his deal, and he's slated to make 6.25 mil this season, which ranks 15th among running backs in the league today so are the los angeles chargers fumbling the bag by not giving austin eckler a long-term deal are they realizing their price tag and not making a commitment to him right now i think they're fumbling the bag simply because of the level of production that he's giving them and the type of player that he is like i think he austin eckler He's in the he's in the line of like one of maybe two or three running backs that I think perfectly fits the mold of today's NFL, alongside Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. These guys that that they can run the ball and be successful as runners, but they also can be just as successful as receivers out of the backfield and even at times slotted at receiver. And when you have a league that's so um, that's so pass happy, like being, having a running back that can do both really well is a is an extreme weapon that you can utilize. Um, and especially when you have a young quarterback like Justin Herbert, who's still trying to grow in his league, like Austin Eckler can be a really nice weapon for him to use. Um, and if you just gonna let them ride, then they definitely fall with the bag. Yeah, I agree. And I know there's so much conversation now about the value of running backs and if it's worth giving them, you know, second contracts. But at the end of the day, you got to keep the players who are making it work for you. And for the last several years, Austin Eckler has been that guy for the Los Angeles Chargers. Not to mention when Mike Williams and Keenan Allen went out last year. Who led the charge? Austin Eckler. If I'm not mistaken, I believe he led the team in uh, receptions. I know he led the team in rushing yards and carries and touchdowns. He had, I think he tied for the league lead. Oh, no, he was second in the league in terms of touchdowns. That brother did everything for this offense. And like I said, I get it. You could probably find a cheaper option, but it's not going to be the same as Austin Eckler. And this isn't to say I think he's going to go out in free agency next year, or maybe he gets that trade and gets a crazy big extension where he's making 10 mil plus a year but if you're the Chargers I know that most teams don't really do right by their players who've earned it but if there was any guy who earned it last season it was Austin Eckler so get that man his money um before we play our game believable buffoonery I meant to put it on the outline but I forgot is there any free agent moves this week that you really liked or I'm trying to remember what moves happened 
Um, not too much. I mean, the ones that I liked was one year deal for Damian Harris to the Bills gives them a pound of running back. I know injuries kind of messed him up when he was with New England, but when he's been on the field, he's been productive. Of course, Adam Thielen to the Panthers. Um, gives them a good wide receiver option. Denzel Perryman, linebacker, going to the Texans. I like that move. Um, it hasn't been, I'll say this hasn't really been many, like, big-name additions. Miko Hardman to the Jets, that came out yesterday. I kind of like, it's random. I also kind of like that, just from the aspect of, like, I think, and I think me and you talked about it, but to me, I think regardless of who you have at quarterback, like, if you're able to, like, get somewhat better talent than wide receiver, it could just make your overall better offense better. Like, let's say playing devil's advocate. Like, let's say that um, 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 Zach Wilson is still your quarterback. And, yes, he does. He, he needs to grow tremendously. But let's say, like, hey, you have Chris Olave, you have Alan Lazard, you have Nicole Hardman. Like, that's a wide receiver trio that you can look up and you can see, like, oh, Zach Wilson is now making the jump because the pieces around him are better and it's making it easier for him to, like, make the jump versus, like, a couple years ago when it was when your best receiver was essentially Corey Davis. Yeah. I um I I remember Toss seeing that move. My first thought was, yeah, they one of those wide receivers is moving. Either it's gonna be Corey Davis or it's gonna be um Elijah Moore. But there there's no way you keep him. Hardman, Lazard, Davis, Moore, and um Mr. So- Garrett Wilson. You're just it's not happening. So it made sense. Um but, yeah, I, I didn't hate the Hardman move. I was surprised that it was the Jets of all teams. It felt kind of random, but good move. I mean, you can never have too many weapons. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or Buffoonery. Starting out of Chicago, another winner of free agency. I think everybody will agree to that. And it has the players on the team right now very excited, such as Aquin- Equinius St. Brown, who said of the team, we're going from last to first real quick. Believable or buffoonery, the Chicago Bears are favorites to win the NFC North. In my opinion, yes. Um, I think you've added pieces for Justin um, Justin Fields. You, I think, um, I forget, who did they add at running back? Dante Foreman. Yeah, they added him. I think you could potentially... He's a good option. We all know that he's linked that they might make a move for Derrick Henry. We don't know. Uh, but I think like they've added weapons at receiver. They're obviously improving their defense a ton. They still could have room to potentially improve it more if um, Jalen Carter does drop to like the ninth pick and they can take him. And the Vikings are, in a lot of people's minds, the next team that probably would take the jump to being the first. But I just don't trust the Vikings. Like, their defense was bad last year. Their offense was good. But now they lost Adam Thielen. Um, and, like, Jay Jettles, I think, is hands down the top of our receiver. But can he honestly and truly do it all alone? Like, I know they have Davin Cook, but Davin Cook always seems to get hurt at some point during 
the season. So I would say I might throw my stock into the Bears actually being the team that comes out on top of that division. I'm going to call buffoonery. I think that right now, if we're looking assessing roster by roster, I would go with the Lions. I think that I know I talked a lot about losing Jamal Williams last year. I mean, not last year, last week in free agency. But, I mean, you have a quarterback in Jared Goff who was showing flashes last year. You get, um, you're get, you going to have a healthy Jamison Williams on the outside. You're going to have a Ross St. Brown. You still have multiple first-round picks to work with. Their defense is starting to really shape up, especially with the addition of uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. And I think that – while they haven't added a crazy amount of new pieces, it's not enough new pieces where you know it's going to take some time to kind of gain that chemistry. And not to mention, they're pretty good in the trenches. I would take Aiden Hutchinson over anybody that the um, that the Bears have on their front defensive front. I would take their the Lions' offensive line over any offensive line in that division. And you have to be able to win in the trenches and able to have success. And as of right now, the Bears still have things that they can do in the draft. That is a fact in terms of like getting their offensive line better. Or like you mentioned, bringing in a Jalen Carter. But still, it's going to take time to kind of build that chemistry with one another. And not to mention, I keep saying it, but their offensive line was horrible. They... Justin Fields got sacked 55 times last year. That was tied for the most in the league with my brother-in-law, Russell Wilson. They still have a lot of work to do on that side of the ball, and they have yet to do it. So while I like the additions at wide receiver, and I like the linebacker additions, at the end of the day, do I think it's enough to push them over the top? Because you know that division is going to be a dogfight now. Even if Aaron Rodgers stays, it's still going to be competitive. Do I think that they're going to be much better than they were and not get the first overall pick? Yes. But do I think they're going to do enough to win that division? No. I can see them maybe possibly being a wild card team, but I don't I don't see that jump, that big of a jump taking place. But all right, let's go ahead and take things to the um to the desert in the NFC West with the Arizona Cardinals who are reportedly asking for a second round pick and something of value for wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Believable or buffoonery, the Cardinals will get the compensation they are looking for for D-Hop. I'm calling buffoonery. Um, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery too. Simply because like we saying like um, uh, we basically we've seen unless you're trading a quarterback, you aren't really getting any high like high round picks. Yeah. Um, because I'm trying to think like I'm trying to because like DeAndre Hopkins, he's still a stud of a wide receiver, but he's not in that like upper echelon of like what we thought he was a couple years ago, and maybe a lot of it had to do with the fact that he was suspended this past season, but, like, I don't see them getting, like, a good amount of conversation for them. Yeah, and I love D-Hop, and everybody knows I would gladly take D-Hop in Baltimore, but when push comes to shove, he's on the wrong side of 30 or nearing there. He's coming off a year where, even though I still think it was a fine year considering he missed six games, but still, it's not the crazy D-Hop years that we're used to. Um, and then the fact you have to also account for his contract. 
a team isn't going to give you a pick and then some. I think that, especially because you look at guys like Darren Waller went for a three, and I understand that he's a tight end and that he came off an injury plague the year last year. But in terms of overall impact, he did have a very big impact, and he could have gone for more, I feel like. And so you, you think D-Hop is going to go for that and then some? Nah, I don't think that's going to be the case. All right, a couple more questions before we move on to the NBA. Uh, looking at the Carolina Panthers, a team we kind of talked about, um, like I mentioned a bit ago, they did sign Adam Thielen to a three-year deal, I believe, or 22 or 25 mil. And following the announcement of this signing, he said, I feel like there is a real chance to win a Super Bowl. You and I both agree, yeah, that ain't going to happen. But let's lower this scale a bit. Believable or buffoon, the Carolina Panthers are poised to be a playoff team in 2023. Because to be fair, this season, had they not lost that second game to the Bucks, they would have won that division. I think it was like week. 15 or 16? Uh, I'm going to say believable because, in my opinion, right now, they're probably in the weakest division. Like, when you look at the Saints, the Bucks, them, and, uh, shoot. Falcons. Yeah, the Falcons. Like, they're in one of the most winnable divisions. Like, I know the Saints they have, they signed Derek Carr. But, like, and I I would pick my first initial pick would be the Saints to win that division. But it's also a thing where you can look up and you can see, like, oh, the Panthers have actually won this division by, like, a game or two games late in the season. I think it all hinges upon, really it all just hinges upon what they do on the draft. Like, who they who they take, because we know they're taking a the quarterback, but who who do they take and how um, how immediate of an impact that they make. But I can see, like, say they take C.J. Stroud and he has a similar, a season similar to, like, let's say a Ricky RG3. I can see them making the playoffs because they win a division. I don't think I, I – as of right now, I don't know about winning the division, but I agree with you. I could see them making it as a wild card team because, again, like I said, it's not like it was just an absolute dog fight. You know, I mean, run, I mean, not dog fight, but it was a runaway by the Bucks to win that division. The Panthers were on their behinds up until late into the season. And as of now, I don't really feel like the Falcons have done much to really elevate themselves. That could change in the draft or if they shocked everybody and kind of went for Lamar. Or and I don't really think that the Bucks right now. I think the Bucks will be competitive, but I'm not putting my hopes and dreams on Baker Mayfield. I think the Saints right now are the favorites, but I think if we're looking team by team, I like what the Panthers are doing. I think they have a really good base there, and they get the right quarterback. I think that they could really do some damage. So I'm gonna say believe. I can see them being a playoff team this year, especially if they're able to get the right quarterback, kind of get him some protection, and then just weapons to throw to. And I think the defense is good enough to kind of carry the load on the opposite side. So I say believable. All right, last but not least, we all remember the tragic uh, Demar Hamlin saga. Unfortunately, for those of you who don't look it up, because I would like to not relive it. Either way, at the time, it seemed almost impossible for him to step foot on the NFL field again as a player. But instead, uh, it's been reported that things are trending in the right direction for Bill's safety, Demar Hamlin, to play again. Reportedly, he has every intention to play again, and... It, while it would be a great, interesting, and incredible return, 
believable or buffoonery should DeMar Hamlin play in the NFL again? I'm sorry, DeMar Hamlin should play in the NFL again. Uh, For me, it's buffoonery. I don't think he should play. Yeah, nah. Like, I can give you from the aspect of, like, that's the game that you love. But, I, yeah, no. I don't think it's worth the risk. Like, my brother, you didn't just get knocked out or get the wind knocked out. You you passed away. And I know yeah. it was, like, a freak thing that happened. But still, I wouldn't. There are so many other great things in this world you could do. You don't have to play football. And if I'm the Bills, I wouldn't want him to play. I would be terrified of him playing because what if it happens again? Then people are going to be at your head be like, well, why would you play him again? You knew what happened. You knew the condition. Like, nah, I wouldn't do it. But, yeah, it's a hard no for me, boss. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to our NBA discussion, starting with our Mamba Players of the Week. Out of the Western Conference, I'm going Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Do I think that the Thunder are going to make the playoffs? No, probably not. But, man, Shea has been very, very fun to watch all season, and this past week was no exception. For me, I'm going with Jaren Jackson Jr. Great pick, 37 last night, balled out. All right, my Eastern Mamba of the week is going to go to Giannis Antetokounmpo because, I mean, he's a killer. And like he said, he's scared to lose the lifestyle he's built for himself, and he plays like it. Yeah. I'm in the same boat if it has to be honest. And then my rookie Mamba of the week, this was so hard to do because I'm going Jalen Williams, the the forward for the Oklahoma City Thunder, but because they have two players in their lineup named Jalen Williams, I'm talking about the forward number eight, not the other rookie. Yeah, I know because I remember when they played the Grizzlies, the announcers kept talking about how it was so hard to call the game because they had two guys that had the same name, just spelled different. Um, and how to differentiate the two. I'm going with Paolo. Yeah, Paolo's been playing well. All right, let's go ahead and talk our top three takeaways of the week. Uh, for me, starting at number three, Austin Reeves has made himself some money. Uh, during this recent stretch of games for the Los Angeles Lakers, I mean – the brother's been balling, had 25 last night against the Suns, then dropped 35 against the Magic, 24 a few games back against the Rockets. Just a double-digit score machine, and also had his first double-double of the season last night. I think that reports have been coming out that he's expected to get a contract extension. I think I saw four-year 50 mil, something like that. But either way, somebody is going to buy into his potential and give him the bag, kind of similar to what happened with Alex Caruso when he left the Lakers. Um, uh, my top, my number three is that the the bottom half of these NBA Western Conference play-in tournament slash playoff race is really interesting. I think it's the Lakers, the War, the Lakers, Warriors, Mavs could potentially be dropped into it. The, the Thunder, and this is why, like initially, I remember when. They introduced the whole aspect of the play-in tournament and people was against it. And I think I kind of was. But, like, now seeing it play out, I love it. Just because it makes competitive, like, it's making the NBA more competitive in the sense of, like, because typically we know who the top teams are. 
then like the bottom teams, they'll be competitive for a while, and then it's like, okay, well, we're just gonna start tanking so we can try to get a high overall pick, a high pick in the draft, next year's draft. But now you have teams that are like really competing because they want to make it to the playoffs. So I'm really, I'm really uh, enjoying this. Yeah, so right now um, in the play-in started today will be the G- Timberwolves, Thunder, Mavericks, and Jeff Lakers playing. So that will be fun. Um, my number two is I am again asking NBA award voters to give Joel Embiid MVP. I understand Nikola Jokic winning it the past two years. That's fair. But low-key, I still am in the camp of Joel Embiid should have gotten an MVP before this year. I think that this – at this present moment, it's kind of undeniable what he's been able to do uh, with the 76ers this year. And while I love me some Giannis, too, I think that this is the year that Joel rightfully takes his place as the league's MVP. Yeah. Um, I'm also going with, to, to talk about another big man that I think might get robbed out of a wood. Again, Jaron Jackson yes. Jr. Why is it that out of nowhere there's talks about Brooke Lopez potentially winning defensive player of the year. Cap, no way. Like, Jared, like this season, and I get this season, and I understand Jeremy's games at the beginning of the season, all of these things. But since Jared has been on the court, Jared has by far been the best defender in the in the in the NBA. Um and to kind of further my proof of that and validation of that. If you watch that Mavericks game in the clips, Jaron not only got big-time blocks, he got switched on Kyrie Irving multiple times. He stayed with Kyrie Irving on the perimeter, who is arguably the best ball handler in the history of the NBA. And he held, like, they, he he was a part of the unit that held the Mavericks scoreless for, like, a good chunk of time. And that always and like he does it every every game. It's not like bro, all Brooke Lopez does is stand is stand in front of the goal and be seven foot. He's not switching off. He's not even the best defender on his team. So like there's no way that there should be a thing where like he gets those um votes, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean literally the numbers back it up. In terms of what Jaron Jackson has been able to do defensively, I no disrespect to Brooke Lopez because I like Brooke Lopez, but nah, if we're comparing at least those two, Triple J should absolutely be ahead of him. Um, but kind of talking about Brooke Lopez, my top takeaway is that the Milwaukee Bucks right now look like the league's most dangerous team. Seven and three in the last ten games, won their last two games in convincing fashion. I just think that. I know nothing exactly is a lock right now, but I don't think that the Boston Celtics are going to be able to catch them in terms of taking away that top seed. And I think the Bucks are going to ride that home court advantage to the uh, to a deep playoff run. And to me, they look like the most dangerous team in, in all the league. Yeah, I agree. And I think that'll be my number one as well. Just because Boston has like taken, and I knew their start, was never going to be sustainable because it was such a gigantic gap between them and everybody else in the NBA. Um, but, like, Milwaukee is overtaking them. And, like, they're back to playing the brand of basketball that you look up when they won the NBA Finals, like, what, two years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're back in their place. 
another big key part of that is everyone is healthy. Like you have a healthy Chris Middleton, you have a healthy Giannis, you have a healthy Brick Lopez who plays an integral part. You have a healthy Drew Holiday. Um, and because of the, and you also have like other pieces like Joe Ingles has been coming in being a really productive piece for them. Bobby Portis has always been a productive piece since he's been there. Um, so yeah, I think at least from the eastern side, yeah, I think the the um, finest is going to be represented by Milwaukee. All right, let's go ahead and move on to some roster moves. It's not too too many moves that have been made this week, but uh, Kendrick Perkins made an interesting comment yesterday when he said that if he was the New Orleans Pelicans, I would actually consider trading him this off season. Honestly, I don't agree with a lot of things that Kendrick Perkins says, but I think this has some merit. I don't think that the Pelicans are going to do it, but every when I think of sports, everybody's heard me say this a billion times. The best avail- ability is availability, and as great as Zion has been, he has not been the most available. And I think if you're the Pelicans at some point, I think that you got to try to look at, well, I know I could get a lot for him, And if you were going to trade him, you'd rather trade him kind of earlier in his career while he still is healthy. Because what if these injuries not only compound but start to get worse and they become more significant Then you're not going to get the value that you would have gotten this year or maybe next year um, because those injuries would tamper his potential. So I'm not saying that the Pelicans should do it, but I would understand the logic behind it. Uh, I think... I can understand the logic behind it, but I also want to look at it from a different side of the coin. And the different side of the coin is the individual that you just talked about for MVP, Joel Embiid. We all know his first two, if not three years in the NBA were injury-riddled seasons to where it was like he barely played. Very similar to Zion Williamson. And it's taking him getting, like, focusing on his diet and conditioning and doing all of these things. Some of the things that Zion has started to do now in his second year to where he's more consistent with being on the court. I think, like, I understand the best ability is availability, but it's also this whole piece of, like, do you want to jump the gun too soon? Because that's what if Zion does, like, have a similar trajectory with, like, Joel, where he starts to get healthy, and then you're missing out on having, like, a generational talent of a centerpiece because he got hurt, like, his first two years in the NBA? That's fair. I mean, of course it would be the possible regret of trading him, but realistically, with the way that the roster is constructed right now, how far do you think a healthy Zion could lead the Pelicans? Realistically. With the, with the way that it's constructed, mm-hmm. I can see them, honestly, with a healthy Zion, at most I could probably see them making Western Conference Finals. Even that kind of feels like a stretch to me. And that's not a knock against Zion at all. It's just the team overall. I'm just... I'm not sold. And I think if they were to trade Zion, they know for a fact 
that they would be able to get good trade compensation for him, especially right now. Not saying they would have to enter a total rebuild, but maybe this would be the time to see what do you have in Brandon Ingram. And if that doesn't work, maybe this would be the time for you to actually go ahead and invest in another rookie or another star. And while it doesn't really solve the problem and you're still kind of this revolving door, like I said, if I'm the Pelicans, I get it because, again, injuries have – Injuries have plagued Joel Embiid, but they've plagued him his whole career. Luckily, I think aside from his rookie year, it hasn't been anything like crazy substantial. But with Zion, it's been it hasn't been necessarily huge things like a torn ACL or a torn quad or things of that nature, but he's missed significant time. And at some point, if you're the Pelicans, I get the logic of thinking about cutting your losses. But we shall see. I don't think it's going to happen, but it would make sense if they did. All right, let's go talk about some injury news. Unfortunately, Paul George, a player who has quite has become quite familiar with injuries himself, is going to be out for the next two to three weeks after suffering a um, knee sprain, um, which sucks for him because more likely he's going to be out for the last nine regular season games for the Clippers, but to possibly return um, come playoff time. As of right now, the Clippers are the fifth team in the Western Conference standings. Without Paul George, do you think they keep their place? Or do you think you could see them rising, falling? How big of an impact is it not having PG-13 on the court? Uh, I'm going to say I could see them either keeping their place barely or it's falling. I don't see them rising at all. And the only reason being is because, like, Kawhi is like he Kawhi is like back back and like he since he's been like back back he's been like a really dominant player um so I think that like him if you pair him and the rest of their roster and Tyron Lu, who is one of the better like coaches that make adjustments in game I can see them holding on but I also can see them slipping into like five or six as well. Um, I could see, yeah, I don't think they're going to rise, but I could see them holding down that fifth spot, especially because there's just so much chaos between seven and ten seeds. Um, I think that they're going to kind of weed themselves out, and if you're the Clippers, you really just got to hold on. But that also means, Kawhi, you know you're playing, right, every game. And because I feel like I love Russell Westbrook, but I don't think if you're putting all your eggs in that basket – um, that he will be, uh, that he is going to consistently be on the court at all times, and not only that, but he's going to lead you to a higher seed. So, as of right now, I, um, I feel you. I think that they're going to stay about where they are. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the MVP discussion, or better yet, the definition of the MVP. Um, in a recent interview, Giannis Antetokounmpo was asked about the criteria for MVP, and he said, the thing that I don't get is the MVP criteria is it changes. Is it the guy who scores the most points? Is it the guy who's the most efficient? Is it the guy who's the most dominant? Is the guy who's the most valuable? And I think that brings up a good point because it feels like more times than not, MVPs are kind of given out more so on the narrative basis as opposed to a set definition so Ethan for you personally how do you define MVP um I define MVP it's hard I would say I think it depends on my definition would be the most valuable player on the best team um to kind of give out to kind of give an example 
LeBron, the years of the absurd LeBron runs when he was in Cleveland and Miami. Like, LeBron, I feel like, in all honesty, LeBron could have had, like, a five to six year run where he won MVP. He didn't, but he could have had, because he was the best player on the best team in the NBA by far. And I think that holds a that is what I think is the MVP. The same thing can be said for Kobe, because I think Kobe went on the run where he could have had like four to five years and win the MVP back to back to back because he was the best player on the best team. Um, like Nikola, like I get the whole Nikola Yogi's piece, um, but I just think like if you're saying like the most valuable player. Like, it has to be the person that's on the team. In my opinion, it's the player that's on the best team, and he's the best player. Yeah, um, I look at it like most valuable is when I hear the word term most valuable, I'm thinking who, if you take them out of the equation, the team does not move the same. Minus this player, does this team have the same success? And I know that's theoretical and we won't technically ever know. But you can theorize. You take Giannis off of the uh, Bucks, they're not the number one seed. They might be okay, a cool team, fighting for a play-in spot, but they're not going to be where they are. Same could be said for a Joel Embiid. You take him off the of Philly, it's a completely different lineup. Also the same for Nikola Jokic, but then when you add in, like you said, you have to be winning, which is why I get players who are on teams that are like six or seven seeds, I get them not winning MVP. Because especially if you're like the East Western Conference right now, the sixth team in the Western Conference is the Warriors, and they're 38 and 36. It is a very small gap between them and the Timberwolves who are 37 and 37. And so I think that the two, like I said, the two biggest components for me are like you said, you got to be winning, and also your value has to be undisputed. Not just because you score the most points, but because if you take take you off of the court, the energy changes, the team changes. It's not the same production. I think once you get that and once you see that in the team, I think that's what really shows who's MVP and who's not. All right, a couple more things uh, before we get out of here. So Gilbert Arenas, one of the most outspoken people in all of basketball media, uh, gave his take on the top three greatest draft picks of all time. For him, he said number one was Michael Jordan, who was picked third in the 1984 draft. Uh, Nikola Jokic, who was picked second, I mean 41st in the 2014 draft. And then Kobe Bryant, who was chosen 13th overall in the 1996 draft. And of course, as we all know, traded to my Los Angeles Lakers. Do you agree with that list or would you have some tweaks? Because I have one tweak. I'm taking Nikola Jokic, y'all. Yeah, me too. I would put Steph over Nikola Jokic. I would either put Steph or honest, I would put LeBron. Or Young. That's fair. The reason I would go Steph is because, especially when you look back at that 2009 draft class, it is insane to think this brother fell to, what, the seventh overall pick, I believe? Yeah, seventh overall pick. And the way that he has been able to kind of revolutionize and change the game, and at the time, he's a player coming out of Davidson, an incredibly small school. People were thinking his ankles were weak. They weren't sure what he was going to be on the league at the league level and look at where he is now. So 
The fact that six teams got it so wrong, that's why I would put Steph in in that top three. That's fair. All right, let's go ahead and play our game of believable or buffoonery, and we're going to start things out with Mario Chalmers and his interesting comments about LeBron James. Now, like you, you talked about that Miami Heat team that LeBron was on where he was terrific. Well, Mario Chalmers was there too, and he spoke about LeBron James and his overall impact on the game, saying, nobody fears LeBron. Nobody's like, damn, I got to go play against LeBron tonight. You hear anybody from that era talk about going against Jordan. There's a fear. So when you have people that fear a player, then that's telling you something different already. Believable or buffoonery? The league, nobody in the league fears LeBron James. Um, I think this. I don't. I believe like this. I'm going to say no. I think people do fear LeBron James. I think people in their time frame that Mario Thomas um referred to fear LeBron James. Being one of them being. The team that has the most overrated one championship the in the Boston history. Boston Celtics. Oh, my God. Like, people don't understand that in a lot of ways, that team was assembled to stop LeBron. Like, this was LeBron when he was in Cleveland. He was dominating the league. Nobody could. Like, it was a clear cut that, like, hey, he's that guy. Because this was with him before he went to Miami. And the Boston, like, it was a bunch of other cats that were, like, middle to, like, point of their career. They all banned together. Kendrick Perkins even said on national TV, it was one game where they played him in the playoffs. And he said, I wish LeBron would tear his ACL because I don't want to play him. Yeah. That sounds like fear to me. Yeah. You're not just saying that about somebody you're not tripping off of. Yeah. yeah like, I think what it is, I think what it is is, like, Yes, Jordan had this, like, aura of mystique around him that everybody feared him. Thing is, you got to also realize, like, bro, just because people don't say they fear you, that doesn't mean they didn't fear you. Yeah. Like, so I I think that's buffoonery. I think people were afraid. I think people are afraid because you look, you think about, Think about what people are saying about the Lakers right now. If the Lakers make the play-in tournament and they get a healthy LeBron James, they could be one of the most dangerous teams in the playoffs. That sounds like a sense of fear to me. Yeah, I I would agree with that, especially because, like you said, like you hear interviews where people talk about the killer that MJ was or the killer that Kobe was. While LeBron isn't in that conversation necessarily – you know teams didn't want to see LeBron. That's just a fact. A prime example, the Raptors, when LeBron went back to Cleveland, the Raptors could win 50-plus games every regular season, look amazing. It didn't matter because once LeBron came and they faced off in the playoffs, what happened? Barbecue chicken. Made the number one seed look like nothing or a top two seed, whatever seed the Raptors were, they could never do anything with them. There is no doubt in my mind that they may not have said that they feared LeBron, but when they got that playoff schedule, when the season was winding down, you can't tell me they weren't like, damn, I don't want to see LeBron. I don't want to see the Cavs. So I'm calling buffoonery on that. All right, let's keep things in the Eastern Conference. And 
a bit of a historical context. Uh, Paul George discussed his reactions when he gets to Indiana to go visit the Pacers, to which he said, they boo me because at the end of the day, it's love. I still got love there. I hung banners there. I'll always be grateful for the time that I was there. Now, for those of you who don't remember his days in Indiana, he did not win any championships, but he did make the um, Eastern Conference Finals a couple of times where they faced off against the Heat and probably one of my favorite basketball moments when Lance Stevenson blew in LeBron's ear. Uh, But yeah, believable or buffoonery. The Pacers should retire Paul George's jersey. Uh, I'm going to say yeah. Because I feel like unless they like go on like this super historic run, Paul George has probably been alongside Reggie Miller has probably been like the most influential players in Indiana. Yeah, I would say that he's been their best player since Reggie Miller. So, yeah, I would say believable as well, especially because, like, come on, you're the Pacers. How many players are you really that happy to celebrate? That's not a knock. That's just a fact. Um, All right, let's go ahead and move on. Talking about legacies, as Dylan Brooks says, he owns a lot of real estate in San Francisco. Why did he say that? Well, Clay Thompson's recent comments definitely add to that. Um, following the Grizzlies' victory over the Warriors this past week, Clay Thompson said this, I don't care about Dylan Brooks. When he retires, I don't think anyone will ever talk about Dylan Brooks ever again. I promise you, it's sweet right now, but wait 10 years. So that got me to thinking. 10 years after Clay Thompson retires, beef, buffoonery, or believable or buffoonery, Clay Thompson will still be a topic of conversation because I think that's buffoonery. Hell no. Bro, I'm sorry. It's the Grizzlies fan and me come, about to come out strong. I do agree. When Dylan retires, nobody's going to talk about Dylan Brooks. But nobody's going to talk about you neither. Yeah. That might. The only way that they're going to talk about you is when they're going to reference you as a splash brother with stealth. But, like, they aren't – no one's going to talk about Clay Thompson as an individual basketball player. It's always going to be in reference and in conjunction with Steph. Exactly. Because the reality of it is, and me and you talked about it off air, but the same four championships that you always love to say that you had, bro, you were a part of a group project that got an A. Because you – like, you might have had moments in, in the playoffs as a whole, but when you really got to the finals – you didn't really have that big of an impact. Like, bro, it's a whole it's a whole picture of you in the NBA Finals where you score like six points and you happy because you won. Yeah. No. It's funny because I think you hit it on the head. Like, he'll be mentioned as a splash, bro, or like when the team recognizes uh, those championship teams, he'll get brought up, and I'm sure they'll retire his jersey. But when it's all said and done – who really remembers the number two? Like, like it, nobody really I, remembers. Unless, like, for example, like a Scotty Pippen. Yeah. We, when you talk about Scotty, you're not just talking about Scotty. You're talking about Scotty and MJ. Okay. To be fair, Kobe Bryant, had he not won those championships without Shaq, it wouldn't just be Kobe. It'd be Kobe and Shaq. So, unless he sets out on his own and wins rings as the guy. Nah, sorry, Clay. It's it's not happening. But all right, last question. 
uh, kind of talking about MJ, Colin Coward of Fox Sports has never been one to shy away from a controversial statement. And his most recent one revolves around Michael Jordan and the mystique himself. He said, take out Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson. This whole jo- Michael Jordan mythology is just sort of that. So, believable or buffoonery. You take away Scotty and Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan would not be considered the greatest of all time. Absolutely. Um, because, and I know, and this is one of the things where it's like, it's hard to say revisionist history, but I think if you take away the fact that Michael Jordan gained Scotty Pippen and gained Steve and gained Phil Jackson, he wouldn't be the GOAT. Because when you looked at Michael Jordan before those two guys, he was losing in the first and second round of the playoffs. Like that, and I understand me. You talked about it all there. Like I think the goat debate is stupid, but that is also one of the aspects of why I think the goat debate is stupid. It is because everybody loves to bring up the fact that Jordan was six and zero in the NBA Finals. Nobody loves to bring up the fact that before he made it to the finals those years. He never made it past the second round. So I don't think so. Because unless he, like, gets another – because this is the reality, I think, of basketball is every great player always is always going to need a number two. And for, for the longest, when it was just totally the Jordan show, he didn't win. But once he gained his number two and he gained a coach that properly utilized him and his number two together, that's when you saw the overall dominance that the Bulls were. So I think if you take away Scottie Pippen, because as a LeBron fan, I can say the same thing about if you take away Dwayne Wade and you take away Kyrie, I don't think LeBron will have nearly the amount of success that he's had. But I'm willing to say that. But people that are Jordan fans, they are willing to say like, oh, if you take away Scottie Pippen, Jordan wouldn't be Jordan. Yeah. They still think he would. But the numbers show when he didn't have Scottie Pippen, he wasn't winning. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I got to put my Kobe in it. I mean, I think that if you don't put – if the Lakers don't trade for Powell Gasol, I don't know if Kobe gets his two rings. So, I just – yeah, I find it believable as well. And, of course, it's one of those things, like, we'll never know. But like you said, people get so entrenched in their own arguments. They just think that, oh, my favorite player in any sport could do it by themselves. There are absolutely superstars and megastars in basketball, but no one player can do it by themselves. If that was the case, teams like Damian Lillard would have a ring by now. He would have carried his team, the Trailblazers, to a ring at this point. If that was the case, Dirk Nowitzki probably would have had more than one ring. If that was the case, LeBron would have won rings all the time in Cleveland, but it doesn't work like that. And so it's okay to admit that, yeah, Michael Jordan needed help to get those rings, and that's fine because it kind of goes back to what we were saying about Clay. Scottie Pippen will never be talked about on the level of Michael Jordan, ever. But – he was necessary for Jordan to have his success. And so I think that it's okay to say that out loud. It doesn't diminish what MJ did because at the end of the day, he still has six rings. That's six more rings than any of us got. So, and that's fine. But it's okay to admit that he couldn't have do it. He couldn't do it alone because nobody could do it alone. But that, all right, let's go ahead and make our game picks for tonight, and then we are going to get up out of here, starting with the New York Knicks versus the Orlando Magic. 
I got Knicks. I got Knicks. Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Brooklyn Nets. I got Cavs. Cavs. And quick question. Does Utah get put on a poster again tonight? Probably. Yeah. Charlotte Hornets versus the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to go Pelicans. Pels. And finally, the Oklahoma City Thunder versus the Los Angeles Clippers. This is tough, but I think I'm going to go Clippers. They got to get their lick back because the Thunder did just beat them. I think I'm going to go Thunder again. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out the export.net, our pizzaexport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and uh, fellow export writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. For my football fans, be sure to head over to The Export. Check out that mock draft. It is under the NFL Draft tab. First thing you should see. Go ahead and read that for me. Let me know what you think. And, uh, Ethan, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Uh... Not really. I just would say I'm I'm in agreement with you. I think these like all time debates are starting to get stupid. Yeah, and I mean I get it. You you got your opinion. Everybody has their opinion on something, and you're going to live and die by their opinion. There is nothing I can say that is going to change your mind about something you were dead set on, and vice versa. And that's okay. But. It just goes, it's so crazy to me how people, like, really take that stuff to heart. Like, you think LeBron is the greatest player of all time. That's fair. I understand your argument. I'm not about to cuss you out and never talk to you again because I disagree with you. It's not that serious. It's not that deep. It's not that deep because at the end of the day, there is never going to be anything where everybody, all 7 billion people on this planet are going to agree on, especially when it comes to sports. Yes. So, everybody, chill out. Just enjoy basketball. Enjoy greatness. Enjoy the sports that we love. And chill out. That's all we ask. But thank you guys again so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.